This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And the big news, the most significant news of the day, um, earlier this afternoon, uh, the football club confirming that Leighton Baines has been offered a new deal. It was fully expected, of course, but officially that offer has gone into Leighton Baines uh, for an extension. So we will get the chaps' views on that and the prospect of another 12 months of the long-serving club uh, player. Uh, we'll also discuss Yeri Mina's injury, another injury uh, to come out of the return to training after Jean-Philippe Gabamin. Now, Yeri Mina, so disappointing news, and I'll get the chaps' uh, opinions and views on, on where Everton go and if the defence can cope for the remaining nine games, if he is to be out for that long, but we wait and see the extent of his uh, injury. And the third and final part of the podcast will be um, mainly over to Preno, but we will uh, we'll come to that later and, and explain all later in the podcast. Um, Preno, well, we'll start with you. Um, no great surprise, but formally the football club have made an offer for an extra season for Leighton Baines. Um, good news, isn't it? It's excellent news, yeah. Uh, I'm delighted for the lad. I'm delighted for the football club. Um, Baines is arguably the most iconic individual at the football club at the moment. Uh, but you don't get new contracts just for being a, a popular lad and for being iconic and for being you know somebody that's uh, served well for however many years it may be. You get a new contract because you're useful to the football club going forward. And uh, Baines, he clearly is on and off the pitch. I mean, obviously, Lucas Dean's, uh, the consistency of his performances since he arrived means that Baines's opportunities have been limited. But he hasn't let that affect him. Uh, he's kept himself fit and sharp. And when he has come in and played, he's looked absolutely magnificent. I mean, he, he probably scored the goal of the season last season. <laughs> so, of this season. How do we say is it this season? Is it last yes, season? this season. It seems weird to be talking about this season in June, but there you go. But yeah, for me, you know, so probably goal of the season still. Uh, but he proves that, you know, so he can still contribute, you know, whenever he's called upon. And then there's also the influence that he has in the dressing room. He's clearly a very respected individual. Um, his work ethic on the training pitch is something to be admired. A lot of players look up to him, keeps himself in great nick, you know, so physically and mentally. So, uh, yeah, you know, ticks every single box. So, yeah, it's no great surprise to see him offer the new deal because he deserves one. Uh, but I'm pleased that it has now been rubber stamped. Adam, um but I think I think everybody assumes that, that he will sign it. He'll sign it, won't he? There'll be no there'll be no concerns about that. Uh, he's got to, hasn't he? Uh, I think that'd be one of the most depressing things to happen in a long time if he ends up turning down that uh, offer of a new contract. Because you know I've got to fully agree with what Preno said there. I think uh, Baines has fully deserved this contract. You know, over over previous times we might have had uh, some players staying on at the club that little bit too long, and it was down to perhaps loyalty or because we were short in a position, etc. It's it's not the case with Baines at all. He has fully deserved a, another year because of how well he's performed this season, especially when he's had to fill in for Luca Dean. Like that Manchester United performance at home in particular, that was, yeah, I've said it a few times on this podcast, you know, that was a real throwback to the Leighton Baines that we were used to over the last few years, you know, just marauding down that left-hand side. And, you know, he was a real thorn in the side of Manchester United that day. And, you know, to have a backup left-back 
with the quality of Leighton Baines is is just incredible for Everton to to be able to have. Really, you know, if I'd say if Baines did, God forbid, turn down this contract, he'd walk into half of the teams in the league. He'd walk into straight into their starting 11s. He's still that good at the age of 35. You know, this is you know this is probably he's a cult hero certainly at Everton. He's probably the closest thing to a legend that a lot of uh, a certain generation of Everton supporters have had. So, you know, to be able to have, you know, as we expect, another year of uh, of him at the club would be brilliant. So, yeah, it's great news. Sam, what does it say about, about um, Baines's ability, professionalism, and more importantly, his, his impact that Carlo Ancelotti, you know, who will have had to have given the sign-off for this offer, this contract offer to be to be made, um, has said, yeah, I want another 12 months of Leighton Baines um, as I build... This, this, you know, this new Everton future. Hopefully, I think the thing that's always, always struck me, especially, is that you know, even Manchester United, the way I think it was this season when when Dean pulled up injured, you know, and you, and you think about what an impact Lucas Dean's had on this team since he joined. When you see Baines warming up to to get ready, you're never like, oh crap, like it, it's Baines coming on. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. just he comes on, he just makes a the similar Im- impact. You know what I mean? And what the just been so consistent and I think really it, it, the only thing is is just how good Dean's been because I still think Baines would probably walk into any club outside maybe the the, the top six in, in the Premier League still he is he is still that good and obviously you know that's something that I think it was pretty early on wasn't it in, in Carlo Ancelotti's uh, tenure that even did he speak to the club website about, about how he wanted to yeah. how much he loved and it seems a very kind of, um, <laughs> it was very kind of a calculated move, wasn't it? I think everybody knows that Leighton Baines is so valuable to Everton now in the role that he plays because, you know, he's not going to rock the boat and, you know, he's not going to be the kind of person who, who messes around, right? Like that, he just gets the job done and, you know, it's just hopefully now that he signs, he doesn't think maybe, look, I can probably go and, see out my career maybe in, in America or something like that because 90% of teams in, in the world at the moment he'd, he'd play for. So that would be my only concern. Preno, I was uh, I was going to ask that question. Adam and Sam have, have sort of half answered it. Um, how many teams in the Premier League, how many of the 20 teams in the Premier League, sorry, nine, of the 19 other Premier League teams, would Bainsey command first, first choice sure. left back? To be honest, I'm quite interested in finding out who Sam thinks crappy is coming on. Actually, uh, plays in the Everton squad at the moment. But we won't ask him to, um, to name names. I could put him in quite a precarious situation. Um, yeah, if, you, if, if, you, if you were to go through the squad, uh, or sorry, go through the Premier League, you know, club by club, um, there'd only be probably, you know, the handful of the, you know, the elite, you know, sort of top four or five, where you could say that, yes, there's probably a player there who's, you know, sort of got a, Similar quality uh, to Leighton Baines. I won't say, you know, sort of greater quality. Uh, it's only a few years ago that Baines was being named in the, uh, the PFA Premier League Team of the Year consistently. Uh, obviously, he's not been in recent years because we haven't been seeing that much of him. And at his age, you know, so clearly he's not going to be able to command, you know, sort of a place for an entire season. But the quality is still there, you know, so even if the enduring, you know, sort of freedom from fitness, freedom from injury, you know, sort of maybe isn't. So to answer the question, probably only the, the top echelon, the very, very top echelon, uh, and to suggest that he's a, he's a backup effectively as well, you know, so he's a, he's a number two left back. Um, it just underlines, you know, so how gifted Everton are in that area. 
It's it's sods law, really, isn't it? That you know we've got two very, very, very good left backs, and yet in other areas of the defence, we you know we're scrambling around for numbers at the moment. But that's just you know some modern football, unfortunately. Uh, but I think all Evertonians have got a huge degree of time uh, for Leighton Baines, just because of what he brings to the football club in terms of his, uh, his his personality. I mean, obviously, I've been watching Everton play for a lot longer than uh, than you guys have, but I still don't think I've seen a better left back in all that time. Uh, Andy Hinchcliffe, you know, was in England international, you know, so regular for a couple of seasons in the mid nineties. But Bainsey, I think even Andy would admit himself, Bainsey's probably got a bit more quality in all areas of the pitch. McPedrick was another one in the seventies. He was in England international. Bainsey, I think, is a better player than him. You've got to go back to the days of Ray Wilson, who I didn't see play before. You've maybe got somebody that you know so is on a similar quality. So that just underlines how you know, how gifted Everton are, you know, so in that particular area of the pitch. And the fact that he's such a good lad as well, the fact he's so yeah. good to have around the training ground, mm. uh, you know, all the more reason why Everton have offered the deal. And we are just presupposing he is going to sign us. And we are very surprised if he decided to go elsewhere. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good story in a week when we needed a bit of a lift, to be honest, you know, so in he's elsewhere. Well, Adam, I think uh, one of you briefly touched on it um, earlier on. The fact that, Layson is so good and we we believe and, and I think we're all, all in agreement that he would walk into the majority of Premier League teams and be a first choice left back. That actually just re-emphasises, despite a season where he was perhaps not quite at the levels of his first season, but it re-emphasises how good Luca Dean has actually been. Oh yeah, it, I think it's something that we were talking about a lot last season, wasn't it? You know, it, you, the task of being able to step up and step into Leighton Baines' shoes was never going to be an easy one for any player. And with the consummate ease almost that Luca Dean managed to mm-hmm. do it, even at periods of last season when Everton went performing very well, Luca Dean was still performing uh, extremely well. And, you know, the, it's no surprise that he was named as a play, player's player of the season and fans' player of the season in the Dixies last season. You know, that kind of emphasises just how crucial he was uh, to the side. And he still is so, so crucial to the side as well. You know, he's still chipping in with all these assists. You know, he's still uh, affecting games at both ends of the pitch. And, you know, it, it does kind of hark back to what always made Baines so special. You know, that kind of quality, you know, crossing cross and delivery from the left flank, you know, set pieces, uh, long-range goals, as he uh, came up with last season as well. You know, it's it's almost... It's almost as if he's in the, the same kind of mould as Leighton Baines. So it was it was even more impressive that he could just easily step into those shoes and, you know, take take that position up into the next level. So, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it does just summarise just how good Luca Dean has been. And, you know, to, to be able to consistent, you know, we've spoken about how much quality Leighton Baines still has. You know, he's shown us mm-hmm. how much quality he still has. So for Dean to be able to keep Baines on the bench essentially you know they are they are just still competing for that position you know Baines isn't going to be what want, want to be settling for just being a backup he's going to want to challenge for the first team obviously so the fact that Dean is managing to keep him on the bench you know it, it does just show how important he is to this side definitely so and I know we we've discussed this on on this podcast a number of times but how many clubs in the Premier League have got better options at left back. You know, which which clubs have got greater strength in depth in that position than, than we have? I think if you're talking greater strength in depth, what what teams have three better left backs than Baines, Dean and Cuco Martina, isn't it? So really gotta <laughs> kind of think about <laughs> nah, in terms of, of, of Baines and Dean, it's just I, I honestly don't, you know, I, I do think Obviously, Andy Robertson is a good fullback. Uh, 
I think you know City have, have got a couple. Uh, I think even City, I'd probably think Dean over over Mendy actually. Um, so does the, I, I would honestly say in terms of the two we've got, we we could actually be the the best up there because I just don't think if any of the teams left back get injured, they have a, a latent Baines coming in. You know, you see most teams, um, you know, put putting players. You know, I think City were until the last couple of seasons were obviously putting Delph in at left back and sit in Liverpool they put Milner in at left back. So. Hey, well, um, well, we've got Delph now, so there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I would say for, for actual strength and depth, definitely up there. And then I think in terms of Dean on his day, you know, I think all Everton fans would probably agree this season maybe wasn't as good as last season, but still, to his credit, has still been fantastic, really. I, I'd say I think maybe a couple of times this season there's a few performances, maybe defensively, where... Uh, he, he wasn't as, as solid as he had been the season before, but on, on his day, I think he is up there with the best two or three left-backs in, in the entire Premier League, and as you were saying, it, it is testament to him, And but it's also a kind of thing of, you know, for, for Baines to sign this this new contract, it's, w- w- he hasn't even really been getting cup games or anything the, the last couple of seasons, has he? So it, it'd be interesting to kind of see if, if he if he's saying to Ancelotti, well, if, if I sign this, you know, I at least want to be playing a few games because, uh, as you said, Ev- Evertonians respect him, and I don't think any Evertonian would begrudge seeing him on the starting lineup for a few Carabao Cup or FA Cup matches. Indeed, so from a, from, from a, a position of real strength in depth to one where we are light, and we were light at the start of the season after the window closed, but we thought we'd got away with it in some respects and only having three centre-halves. Uh, the news this week that Yerry Mina has suffered a partial tear of his left quad and will be uh, out for, inverted commas, several, an undefined period of time, several weeks. We don't know exactly yet how long. Um, can, can we cope potentially going into the restart of the season, the resumption of the season on June the 20th? Uh, with just two senior centre-halves? <laughs> we'll have to. It's as simple as that. It's, uh, it, it's, it's enormously frustrating because everybody foresaw this position right at the start of the season. I know Everton were trying to bring you know Marcus Rojo in from United and uh, that, well, they walked away from that in the end, didn't they? That didn't quite come off. And when that didn't, everyone thought, Ooh, are we going to be struggling here? Are we going to leave ourselves a little bit light? But we thought we'd got away with it. We thought we'd got through the season. And obviously, Holgate's uh, performances since then as well um, have helped to make that problem go away a little bit because he was arguably you know, so, so much better than many people expected him to be. Um, so we thought, great, OK, you know, so this, the problem's gone away now. And if something like this happens when we haven't played football for 12 weeks uh, to actually sustain an injury, which is going to keep him out for a few weeks at least, it's a worry. I mean, uh, Michael Keane wasn't, well, he played the last couple of games, didn't he, before the lockdown? But, you know, he, he'd argue being overlooked in favour of Meaning and Holgate, which appeared to be Ancelotti's preferred partnership. Um, he's going to have to form a new partnership now with Holgate. And if anything happens to either of them, you know, we are really down to... The bare bones, and you know, I saw a piece today suggesting that Morgan Schneider is being considered as maybe, you know, sort of an auxiliary, you know, sort of centre half option. Otherwise, you're looking at kids, you're looking at youngsters that have not played any, you know, sort of senior Premier League football. Um, it's one, it's a bit weird at the moment. I mean, when we do return to Premier League football, clearly the quality is still going to be exactly the same. You know, so starting against Liverpool, it'll be absolutely, you know, sort of ready and flying. It's going to be tough. 
But the fact that there's going to be no crowd in the stadium, will that make it a little bit easier, in inverted commas, for a younger player to assimilate, to just take one little bit of pressure off him, having to handle it with that? I don't know. Mm. Uh, that's just, you know, if worst comes to worst, though. But for the time being, you know, we are looking good. You know, so Michael Keane and Mason Holgate, uh, both very good players. Uh, they're both going to have to form a partnership and they're going to have to perform well because uh, it looks like it could be a few weeks that, you know, so we'll be missing um, Yerry Mina. So it's a frustration, but, you know, these are the things that Carlo Ancelotti has to overcome. And uh, this is something else he's going to have to exercise his grey matter over. It's a concern, but, yeah, I think we can get over it, yeah. Adam, um, just picking up on a, on a piece you you, uh, you wrote in the, in sort of in the wake of the Mina news, you know, that, that, that need to find a fourth centre-half never went away. And it, the news this week only, only reinforced the, the, the priority, you know, where that sits on the list of priorities for, for Everton this summer, albeit in this crazy new look transfer market that we all expect. It's still still an area that has to be addressed. Oh, yeah. We were so close. <laughs> we were so close. We actually lasted until June. Like, at the start of the season, if you'd have said, if we'd last, we'll last until June with only three centre-halves, we'll go, oh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Little did we know the season would still yeah. have nine games left uh, at this point. So, yeah, it, it, it is, as Prano says, it's really frustrating. And it does just highlight uh, what you know can only really go down as a failure as the last, uh, in the last transfer window. You know, we put put a lot of eggs. It's, it's seemingly into the Kurt Zuma basket, and then whenever uh, that wasn't wasn't a possibility, you know, other other targets were explored, and you know, they just didn't come off. And then we come to January, and January is always a, a tough market to uh, to try and work in. So you can't really look at that one as as a as a, as a failure, in my opinion. So yeah, it, it does just highlight what is going to be. You know, it's such a weird summer transfer window already. You know, we've we've already highlighted that uh, previously that we are in de- dire need of an of another centre back, and you know, talks have progressed with Gabriel at Lille before before this lockdown, and you know, it's you just don't know what's going to happen with those negotiations now. Obviously, they're going to be completely different uh, uh, in over the next few weeks, months. You know, whenever the transfer window opens, so. It, it it does just make things ten times harder. And as Preno says now, if you know Holgate or Keane were heaven forbid to pick up an injury of their own now, mm. we're looking at you know if we can get special dis- dispensation perhaps for Lewis Gibson. If he wasn't to stay out on loan, the Fleetwood, then maybe he'd step in or beyond that. You're looking at Jared Branthwaite, who you know he's seventeen year old who joined in January, and you know you started off solidly enough for the under twenty threes, but there was still obvious uh there was still an obvious step up that he needed to make to make it like onto the level of the under twenty threes, let alone to be yeah, yeah. you know called first team. You know, he's been training with the first team, but you know, it's it's so different to be to be potentially called up to the first team bench. So yeah, it it, it is just gonna highlight how much we need uh four senior options uh next season. So this summer is crucial really. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sam, uh, I'm going to put you in the Everton dugout. You are in this make-believe situation, Everton manager. It's the derby. I'm not Mina's sure that's still <laughs> Mina's still injured, so he wasn't included in the squad. Michael Keane and Mason Holgate start as expected, but Keane goes down injured. How do you shuffle the pack? Can I not go rogue and kit up now? <laughs> no, that's in the Premier League handbook that's not allowed. And we've seen the play so now. Jesus. Um, who... What about that suggestion about Schneidlin that Preno mentioned? Does he drop in? Or do you do you trust Jared Branthwaite? Is he on the bench even? Or or is or I mean as a third option, as an extra body, do you do the club have to look at an extent a temporary extension for a Cuco Martina as a defender to keep him around? I don't know. It's honestly so it, it generally doesn't bear thinking about thinking in that in that scenario you probably would have to Put Schneidel in there. I think just maybe it'd be some baptism of fire for for Brantway, wouldn't it? To say yeah, yeah, it's up against you know the 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 probable salary money. Yeah, yeah, um, that would be difficult. Obviously, you you couldn't do Baines there. You, Sidby could Sidby play centre back? I suppose possibly. The the cruel irony of all. The cruel irony of all of this, of course, is that Jean-Philippe Gabaman had played centre-half earlier in his career and was, when he signed, was mentioned as possibly being able, as somebody who could have fit, fit, filled in that position. Yeah, well, so I think you're probably looking at a toss-up between Sidby, between Schneidlin, or, or unless, you know, Brantwaite has been kind of blowing people's socks off in, 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 in training. So it's it's a it's a difficult one, isn't it? And one that you've just, as Adam just said, it is... It's almost kind of a little bit dark comedy of how we lasted with, with kind of limited options until this kind of unprecedented extra little quarter, little third of the season. So it's it, it is just so hard, and I think that will be the main thing in that Goodison derby, won't it? For for Keane and uh, Holgate to to stay fit, and it's it's probably not the most ideal partnership either. I think you you would probably want to see Holgate and Mina, but what an unexpected chance for Michael Keane as well. Absolutely, Preno. Look, and, and every team, you know, in, in our frustrations and cursing of luck, we always have to remember that every squad and every team, every season gets injuries. But it does feel like Everton's luck has been, you know, downright rotten this season. I mean, it's bizarre the number of injuries and and what feels like, you know, really ill timed as well. It has, yeah. I mean, I've I've had a few texts and a few you know moans from uh, from friends and you know people. You know, follow the club, suggesting that there's uh, some kind of issue on the training pitch. You know, so yeah, we're actually not you know looking after the players as well as we we should do. Which I totally dismiss. It's absolute nonsense argument. That I mean, obviously the Andre Gomez one was a complete freak. And so underline, you know, so how unlucky Everton have been. The Gabamin issue. I mean, the lad had recovered one, you know, so really, really serious injury. Um, It was, you know, had finished his training session for the day and was just, you know, playing a game of head tennis. He was just like, you know, sort of kicking a ball around on the pitch when his Achilles went. You know, you can't legislate for things like that. And for it to happen, you know, in a 
position where, you know, we'd already lost players this season. He's also, like you say, a player that can also, you know, sort of play in a position in which we would need cover at the moment. Just underlines how unfortunate we've been. I mean, it's it's really tough news for me, you know, but I mean, Gabamin, I really do feel so, so sorry for. I mean, it's I'm sure you've covered it, you know, so in podcasts recently. Uh, but, you know, to have the severity of the injury that he's sustained one on top of the other after 135 minutes of football. I'm struggling really to think uh, of anybody else that you know so has had such awful luck with injuries at the football club. You're going all the way back to you know the 1970s. David Smallman's a player I mentioned every now and then. Who you know so had great potential and just got his career wrecked entirely by injury. That won't be the case with Gabamin. Mean, I'm confident he will come back. You know so eventually, but you know it's going to be a very very you know slow start for him when he does. So yeah, it has. It's just been misfortune and you can only hope that these things level themselves out a little bit. You know, we've had a little bit of a dodgy run with injuries. Hopefully that means that, you know, it's going to improve um, over the next year, two years, and we're going to have a little bit of freedom from injury. So I genuinely don't think it's anything to do with the way the other players are being looked after on the training pitches. It is just, as you say, pure and simple misfortune. I mean, the sports scientists at the football club monitor the players, you know, so muscularity, you know, so when they're they can actually predict when players are more likely to you know, sustain certain types of injuries. And the fact that you know, so these injuries are still being sustained has nothing to do with that. It is just misfortune. So, yeah, you know, so stop the you know, walking under ladders or um, <laughs> kicking, <laughs> kicking black cats or whatever it is that we've been doing recently. <laughs> Well, I think uh, I, th- I think playing for Everton's midfield has to come with a health warning because I revisited a piece <laughs> I'd written just before the suspension and uh, factoring in the fact that uh, Gabamin will miss the, the, the final nine games. Any Everton senior midfielder, so Everton senior midfielders combined will have missed, by the time the season's finished, in the region of 60 league games. That's and, and to be fair, sometimes you can look at players and you can sort of predict that that might happen. I mean, you can look at Fabian Delph and the injury record he's had and you can say, well, it's a bit of a gamble buying a player like that because his injury record has been mixed over the years. So, you know, that is a contributory factor, but not with Gabamin. You know, so Gabamin's appearance record have been excellent, you know, so, which is why one of the reasons Everson paid the money they did for him. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes you just can't legislate uh, for certain injuries. Sometimes you are just suffering from bad luck and Everton and I have got to overcome it um, Just sticking with the midfield briefly um, as, as we're talking about it um, it appears that Mo Besic will not be extending his loan at Sheffield United to <laughs> oh, encompass sorry, sorry. the Is he still an Everton player? <laughs> yeah. not, you are not the first person who's asked that question to me today Perno. Yes, wow. he has 12, 12 <laughs> months left on his deal um, that we're in talks with Sheffield United to extend the loan to cover the resumption of the Premier League season, but for some reason not has yet to become clear that won't be happening. And Adam, he uh, he will be well, supposedly in inverted commas, returning to Everton. Um, <laughs> bizarre. I just can't get my head yeah. around why that hasn't a deal hasn't been agreed there. Yeah, we were discussing this yesterday. When we it just seems seems like a bit of a mad decision to me because you know, granted, he might not have been getting all the game time that he might have wanted at Sheffield United, but you know, with the way that the Premier League's returning, we're playing nine Premier League games in quick succession when the league comes back. Sheffield United are still in the FA Cup as well, so they'll have more fixtures on top of that. You can only presume that game time would have come Bessage's way. Like, Talk about five subs as well, but you know, that might happen. Uh, exactly, yeah. It's, it's certainly more than the zero minutes that he's gonna that he's gonna get by returning to Everton. So I just I just can't fathom why he wouldn't want to why he wouldn't want to stay there and at least play a little bit of football for the end of the season, even if, you know, the 
he, even if there was no prospect of him staying there for beyond the end of this season, but it just just seems absolutely mad that you know Sheffield United was clearly quite keen to keep him on. You know, he's from what I've heard about his time there. You know, he's put in a few good performances for them at least. So, just don't know why he wouldn't want to stay there and show off show off what he can do ahead of, ahead of the summer where you presume it's going to be another move is going to be on the cards. Like so. It's just, just absolutely bizarre to me because, as I say, he's, he's not going to get anything by coming back here. Now, some players, I mean, the Championship's are a strange league this year. I mean, I read a piece the other day about a number of players that don't want to play, you know, so at the end of the season because their contract has expired uh, in June and they are worried about picking up an injury which would prevent them getting a, a new contract elsewhere. Um, you know, I think Charlton have got a striker who's like top scorer this season who doesn't want to play for them. You know, so in the last nine or ten games of the season, which is going to affect their chances of, of staying up. But Mo Bessic isn't in that boat, as you say, Phil. He's got a year left on his contract, which staggers me to be honest. I didn't realise he still had that long left. So you know, why wouldn't he want to stay and run? You know, the opportunity of at least trying to get some game time is a very, very curious one. Unless he's had a sniff of you know, so maybe interest from elsewhere, and he thinks yeah. that he could be getting a move, you know, so to somebody else, and he's worried about jeopardising that by picking up an injury, playing in a in a match elsewhere. Only Mo can tell us the answer to that one, I'm afraid. Indeed. So why why did the promise of Besic is, you know, having looked like he had the potential to be to become a bit of a cult hero? Why do you think it's not? transpired like that at Everton and why has it not worked out? I think it might almost be, I think Barkley struggled with something similar but I think he's he's got all the attributes but sometimes it just I think maybe his, his football intelligence lets him down a little bit I thought too often he kind of made the, the wrong decision, the wrong pass, it was almost like Back heels on his debut, stuff like that <laughs> You know, a little, a little bit you know, in, in a weird way I thought he actually bounced back from that you know, doing that when you when you first come on, your first touch in Everton could have been the end. But even after that, he did have some promising performances. I think City in the League Cup, he was yeah, yeah. a bit good, weren't he? Um, and, and I yeah. did like him. But then whenever he seemingly got a little bit of a chance, a little bit, you know, go on, go and kick on now and show what you can do. There was just too many uh, decisions when he was on the ball that, that just didn't, just were poor. And I think... You know, a central midfielder in, in in the Premier League. You know, some, sometimes I know people can have a bit of go, bit of a go at Gomez because you know he doesn't always register the most glamorous uh, assists and goals tally, but he, he quite often makes the right decisions and and, and I think you know d- does the right thing in that way. Whereas Besic, he can pass, he can tackle, he can run, he's aggressive. You know, he, he's got everything that you'd want in an Everton centre mid. He was almost like a bit of a a Thomas Graveson kind of throwback, but. He just didn't, for me, just really lacks that football intelligence. And, and it's disappointing to see that he hasn't kind of put money or whatever it's been aside to, to carry on at Sheffield United because, you know, they're flying and who, who probably wouldn't want to be a part of that. So I think that's a, that's another black mark on his on his record for me as well. OK, uh, final part of today's podcast, as promised, uh, is devoted to Preno. And I'm sure you've, you've maybe heard um, a few things elsewhere, but... Um, Preno, um, you're in the middle of, uh, of writing a book. Not so much in the middle. I'm uh, very, very, oh, sorry, close yes. to, very, very close <laughs> to the conclusion. So it's an idea I've had for a long, long time because um, I've been doing the, the job I've been doing for a long, long time, as I'm sure you all know. Uh, first match I covered was for the Daily Post uh, way back in 1987, which was the last match of the um, 
title-winning season. Uh, I was down to do quotes for the last game of the season against Spurs. And I remember chasing David Pleat down a tunnel to ask him why he played um, a week inside, get the cup final only five or six days later. So I started in an era when football journalism was very, very different uh, to how it is now. Clearly, it was pre-internet era. Um, and the ability to gain access to football clubs was very different then. Uh, certainly in the 90s, you know, I was down at the training ground every single morning, every single afternoon. I'd be invited into the manager's office every day for a cup of tea and a bit of toast. Uh, and I would travel on pre-season tours with the players. And, you know, clearly as the media demands on Premier League football have increased, you know, since that era, that's become more and more difficult to do so. But it means that I've built up a real fund of anecdotes and stories and, you know, so a little behind the scenes stuff, which I think are quite entertaining. Um, I wrote a book a long, long time ago, which was effectively just a collection of reports from the Echo, uh, Backpage Blues, and a bit crap, to be honest. It was just, like I say, a collection <laughs> of, uh, of reports that you've, you've, you've read before. And I remember, um, you know, when Skies are Grey reviewing this and actually saying, yeah, yeah, you know, so it's, it's great, but we'd rather hear the stories behind the stories. So this is effectively what that is. It's uh, how I've come across the stories that I've written for the Echo, some of the relationships I've built up during the years uh, with managers, uh, with players, and hopefully with lots of uh, light-hearted, entertaining anecdotes along the way. Um, I approached the, the publishing arm of the Echo at the start of the year uh, you know, to see if they'd be interested in doing it, and they were. They were very enthusiastic. The idea initially uh, was about you know, sort of my career covering Tranmere, Everton, Liverpool. You know, when I was chief sports writer, I was covering Liverpool uh, for some time. And they weren't quite as enthusiastic about that. They wanted just an Everton-angled book, uh, a similar, if you like, to you know Brian Reed's book, who used to work with the Echo years ago, now works for the Mirror, 43 years with the same bird, which is effectively you know, sort of his personal history following Liverpool. So this is my personal history following Everton, goes right back to the year dot when I was uh, a 10-year-old sitting on the crash barriers in the enclosure um, to... You know, so now, you know, so earlier this season, I was invited into the other boardroom on match days uh, by Bill Kenwright. So it's been quite some journey uh, along that way. Uh, the, the guys wanted 80,000 words producing by the end of July in order to be able to make the, the market for this Christmas. And I'm there. I've gone past the 80,000 word uh, mark. and I'm still adding uh, bits and bobs to it. And I'm quite pleased with it. I, th I think it reads quite well. And I think Evertonians uh, so will enjoy it. I hope they will anyway. So it's something I just wanted to do, you know, for myself as much as anything. Uh, but you know, um, it's one of the few positives I can see, you can say has come out of this uh, this you know horrible you know sort of pandemic and the extra time I've had working from home means I've been able to de you know devote an hour or two a day to looking at that as well. So it, it's pretty much there. You know, I need to go through it again. I need to add a few bits to it. I need to take all the photographs I've got to the guys uh, at the Echo and see which of the pictures they want to use. Uh, but. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to seeing how people receive it and, you know, so what they make of some of the stories because um, I did have some quite close contacts with a lot of the people at the football club now. I mean, Graeme Stewart was a, a personal friend of mine, lived around the corner. He's now a club ambassador. Uh, David Unsworth, who obviously, you know, very, very highly thought about the football club. Again, was a near neighbour, go back a long way with Unzi. Some of the managers have had, you know, so a great rapport with. Some I've had not so good rapport with. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so that's all uh, that, that's all in there as well. I think most people come out of it quite well. Well, also, I've spoken to people at the football club and told them my plans, and they're you know sort of quite enthusiastic about it as well. But as you'd imagine, who comes out of it well, who comes out of it badly? I said, no need to worry. I said, you know, so anybody at the football club now, you know, sort of can rest, you know, sort of comfortably. 
obviously Mike Walker might raise an eyebrow. That initial sentence was killed for Mike Walker's getting slaughtered here. <laughs> well, yeah, nothing you might not have already heard previously. But, you know, so obviously Peter Johnson, you know, so his tenure as chairman yeah. was, shall we say, checkered. And uh, that, that's quite an interesting period, that as well, because Very much I, still, so, yeah. I, oh, I still remember the day when I went over to Peter Johnson's house with uh, with Paul Joyce, who was uh, working for the Evertonian at the time, now works for the Times. And uh, we'd had a ground poll at the time with, uh, you know, so Everton had polled their supporters to see whether they were interested in a ground move. And uh, myself and Joyce had to go over to Peter Johnson's house to get the results of this ground poll. I knocked on the front door, and I genuinely thought it was his, uh, his home helper. Something was answering the door, you know, so a young woman with a, a pinny on. So she invited us into the kitchen, poured us a glass of wine, and we sat there sipping away the wine. And she was looking at me, you know, it's a little bit strangely. I thought, am I slurping my wine here? Am I, you know, misbehaving? Mm. Anyway, she suddenly looked at me. It's David Prentice, isn't it? The penny dropped. Lorraine Rogers, she was an old school friend of mine at Formby High School, and she was then Peter Johnson's partner. And uh, P- Peter was absolutely horrified, you can imagine. You never <laughs> oh, my God. So it was, that, that led to a very, very curious relationship I had with the chairman and with Lorraine, because I certainly don't think it compromised anything I ever wrote about Peter Johnson. I was critical of him as anybody I've been at the football club, so much so that during the World Cup in France in '98. They invited me uh, to meet with Peter after England had played uh, Tunisia down in Marseille to meet up and, in inverted commas, bury the hatchet. And that was how I ended up spending a night on his yacht, moored off Saint-Tropez. Absolutely bizarre evening. And, uh, you know, the idea being to, you know, so let bygones be bygones, you know, so try and see, see things from each other's point of view and make a fresh start. And we did briefly. <laughs> and then he sold Duncan Ferguson behind the manager's back. And so things yeah, so well. went from bad to worse. So, yeah, it was a really, you know, so strange time. And it's quite interesting as well to see how journalism has changed, you know, so since then, how social media has changed the landscape, how the job that, you know, so you guys do now is so much more difficult than the job that, you know, so I started off doing, you know, so way back in 30 odd years ago now. So, yeah, it's something I really enjoyed putting together. Uh, hopefully people will find it entertaining. And the only sticking point really was a title. When I spoke to the guys um, at, at the Echo, uh, Trinity Sports Media, as was, you know, we thought, let's put together a working title. And I think Once a Blue was the working title, which was obviously the famous you know, sort of logo that Wayne Rooney had emblazoned upon his T-shirt when he first came through. I wasn't entirely happy with it. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I thought, grand old team to report. Yeah, I like that. That sort of fits in. Obviously, it's you know the the anthem. It's the fact that you know so it has been a grand old team to report on, and it has changed quite significantly you know since I started to where we are now. So fingers crossed, you know. So the uh, the pandemic and the fact that you know the, a lot of the lads of the Echo have been working in lockdown isn't going to affect you know so plans for this going forward. So hopefully, you know, so early autumn you'll be reading a lot more about this. People will be able to uh, read excerpts from it. And you know, so decided they want to buy it, and us. So, fingers crossed, it'll be all systems go. You know, so for this autumn, brilliant. Uh, Sam's asked for a signed copy. Is that okay, Pam? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. And delivered. Provided we're still back in the office by then. I mean, I've still got some photographs I'd like to use for the day. Well, they locked up, yeah. I was treading the boards in Everton pantomime, would you believe? Uh, oh, wow. Alongside Everton players, you know, so from the 1970s, Howard was in it. Kenneth Cope, 
who's a, a proper television star, or he was in the 1970s. Randall and Hopkirk deceased he appeared in. I trod the boards with uh, Kenneth Cope. So, yeah, there's a, a few words on there. But, yeah, some of the photographs from that are in my drawer at work. So wow. when we're next allowed into the office, who knows? But I'd like to retrieve them sometime as well. Yeah. Well, we are very much looking forward to that, and uh, hopefully that will be uh, out sometime in the autumn, as you say. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, okay, so that brings us to uh, to an end today's podcast, chaps. Thank you very much for your company. Excellent, as always. Uh, and thank you for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.